The History of Literature podcast is a member of the Podglomerate Network and Lit Hub Radio. Hello. In a recent episode of the Netflix series The Crown, an enterprising interviewer attempts to secure a large prize, an interview with Princess Diana, known to be unhappy in her marriage, perhaps looking to tell her side of the story. She could go to ABC or CBS or NBC. The Americans could fly her in and have her talk to Oprah Winfrey or Barbara Walters and guarantee a huge audience and all the trappings of a, an expensive production. What do we have in return, says the British producer to his colleague. What can we offer? Well, we have the brand, says the reporter. We're the BBC, known for quality, integrity. What's that line about Rogers and Astaire? She gave him sex appeal, Catherine Hepburn once quipped, and he gave her class. There is something appealing about a BBC documentary or a BBC radio program or podcast. Maybe the ceiling isn't as high as we always want, but the floor rarely fails us. There's a level of quality that we can expect. In America, we have our version, especially for those of us who lived through the 70s and 80s and 90s before the onslaught of channels and the inevitable watering down of everything. Our version was PBS, the big brand name, but all the brand names under that tent, too. Nova for the science-minded, Frontline and POV for investigative journalism. Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood for children and their families, and for the arts... Masterpiece Theater, a wonderful program that was sometimes almost like watching the BBC. So much of it either came from the BBC or could have, with all the costume dramas. And Mystery, which was almost the same, Agatha Christie and Sherlock Holmes being two of the perennial favorites. When they finally got around to updating it, taking, out, taking it out of the world of the cozy and into the mean streets of modern urban life, we got Helen Mirren. Not that I was complaining about that. Nor was I complaining about PBS's best comedy, Monty Python's Flying Circus. PBS leaned toward the British until it developed its own American brands, American Playhouse for one, American Experience for another, and then the one we're going to be talking about today, American Masters. American Masters, what a great brand name documentaries on everyone from Woody Allen to Zora Neale Hurston, telling you who these people were, what they produced, and what effect they had on the culture. You can scroll YouTube looking for documentaries, and a lot of them are out there, produced by geniuses and students alike, some with vision, some merely vapid, and sometimes you see the comments and you realize, oh, this one's not going to be worth my time, or, oh, it sounds like this one is boring, or wayward. Or you think they didn't really know what they were doing when they put this one together. When you watch an American Masters episode, you don't worry about that. You just watch and learn and enjoy. The floor is very high. The quality is expected and it invariably delivers. So what to do with such a brand name in the age of podcasts. Well, how about an offshoot, which doesn't merely recreate the documentary form, but does something that the program itself might not be able to do because there's not room for it? Why not go deep into the mind of the master, asking just how this creative process worked? 
The American Masters television show will give you the footage of the artist and the works and the childhood and the rejections and acceptances and the impact and the awards and all of that good visual stuff. But how does it happen? How does one sit down at the typewriter and get it done? How do you direct? How do you paint? How do you sculpt? What's in your mind? What do you see or hear or feel while that's happening? And how do you translate that into something the rest of the world can experience? Just what is the creative spark? That's what we're going to be looking at today. The producer and host of the podcast, American Masters, The Creative Spark, joins us to talk about the show, the guests, and what he himself has learned about creativity along the way. Joe Skinner, today on the history of literature. Okay, here we go. Welcome to the podcast. That was kind of a long intro, wasn't it? I'm tempted to just get started. Roll tape, everyone. But maybe one more little bit of background for the show. What kind of guests do they have on this podcast, The Creative Spark? There have been 68 episodes, I see, thanks to Spotify the last time I checked. 68 episodes in the fields of music and comedy and poetry and film and other fields as well. Well, there have been Ruth E. Carter, who designed the costumes for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, one of their featured guests. How great is that? Those costumes, futuristic, but also the past, a singular vision working within a huge studio system. How does she summon up the creativity to get that done? And she was nominated for an Oscar. Jason Kim was a guest, the writer of K-pop the Musical. John Waters, talk about creative. Errol Morris, Jericho Brown, who won the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry. Wallace Shawn favorite of mine, Ethan Hawke, Noah Baumbach, Maria Bamford, Joy Harjo, Miles Davis's nephew, arrived to talk about his his uncle. Oh, and uh, he's not just his nephew, he's his drummer uh, as well. Talk about the creativity of Miles Davis, one of the more or most creative people you're, you will ever encounter. David Chang, chef and restaurateur. So you see, there's a little something for everyone here. The creative spark can come in a lot of forms. Willie Nelson. (laughs) One wonders just what sparked Mr. Nelson. One suspects it had something to do. Well, okay. Well, moving on. All on the same podcast feed, American Masters, Creative Spark. And now let's hear from the producer and host of that program, Joe Skinner, after this. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishbowl podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself. And it becomes very clear that the cat 
has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Okay, joining me now is Joe Skinner, the host of the podcast American Masters Creative Spark, an offshoot of PBS's long-running and highly acclaimed American Masters series. Creative Spark, the podcast, presents narrative interviews that go in-depth with an iconic artist about the creation of a single work. The sixth season of Creative Spark launched on January 12th, with new episodes coming out every other Thursday. Joe Skinner, welcome to the History of Literature. Hey, thanks for having me. So let's start with you and your background. What were you doing before podcasting, and how did you come to host the American Masters Creative Spark series? You know, it's funny. I, when I talk with a lot of other people in the podcast field, you quickly learn that if they didn't come from public radio specifically, they came from a lot of different places because, mm. you know, podcasting is relatively a new medium. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that's kind of a cool thing about it is you're getting a lot of interdisciplinary efforts in the field and people bringing very different backgrounds to the field, whether it's just print journalism or filmmaking or what have you. And uh, that I find that very exciting. I, mm -hmm. I really love I really love when people bring skills from one thing to another thing and seeing that kind of cross pollination that happens there is really interesting to me. And that kind of gets into what our show's about, too. But but I come from a filmmaking background. Mm. I I went to NYU for film production. And during that time, you are encouraged to have a concentration in a craft so that you can get jobs in the market after you graduate. So you're not just focused entirely on writing and directing. And so my concentration, so to speak, in craft at the time was in sound. So I was doing a lot of sound mixing for film and sound design for film. Mm. And the overlap there to podcasting was actually kind of natural and yeah. a little bit seamless in certain ways for me. And, and so, yeah, that's that's where I'm coming from. Right. Did you work on the American Masters, the television show at all, the documentaries, or how did they find you or you find them? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. So I have been working with American Masters for over eight years now. I joined the series because I, I was working with the executive producer on a documentary about the history of superheroes. Mm. And then we both ended up at American Masters shortly thereafter. And I was working in documentary production, and I still do. I mean, I still work for American Masters. My title is digital lead for the series. So I oversee different digital content, whether it's digital first short subject documentaries or the podcasts that we're talking about today, as well as different social media campaigns that we run for the series and written features that we commission for the series as well. So really, we, we have a huge goal of, of being a multi-platform publisher 365 days a week of new content and new stories to tell and share with our audiences to try to expand the American Masters brand into a lot of different places and spaces and hopefully reach new audiences as best we can. 
And so that, you know, the, the podcast and what we're doing in audio is one arm of that overarching plan, I would say. Mm. I was just going to say PBS has a very good brand as well, but American Masters is such a stamp of quality that it's great that you're able to expand into other endeavors. Yeah, you know, coming with that is a lot of pressure, right? Because mm, you, you want to mm-hmm. make sure you're you're delivering on that quality and uh, and not just phoning it in and making sure you're keeping that expectation with the brand high. Right. Okay. So the guests you have for the series, they come from from the worlds of music and comedy and poetry and film and obviously they're united by the the broad category of creativity they're doing something creative but is there anything in particular you you look for from your guests i mean that to say the denominator being well they're they're all creative i mean that could apply to a million people but how do you select the guests that you get do they have to be famous for a, a particular work or do they have to be uh, groundbreaking in some way or what is the common thread that would unite all of these guests? It's a really good question. You know, it's an evolving way of thinking and it's something, you know, when we're booking, it's really constantly evolving. What is the perfect guest? What is mm. something, what are we striving towards? And for me, it's really important that they're in some way or another iconoclastic. So they're thinking outside the box. They're doing something that is pushing boundaries. I love that kind of guest. So I think of like Don Hertzfeld. He's an animator that we interviewed last season about his creative process. And I just love how much he works outside the traditional animation system. He, he does literally everything himself. So he's just uh, the perfect person to talk to about process because he has his hands on every piece of it. Mm. Um, and so somebody like that, I find to be just so ideal since they can speak so well to that creative process and, and really get into something tangible about it. And then I, I think, of course, the guest needs to have a certain amount of cultural impact. Mm-hmm. So that, of course, is always really important. Uh, I think of Errol Morris, who kicked off our last season. Uh, obviously, he has had such tremendous impact on the field of documentary filmmaking. And so we talked with him about a recent film of his on Steve Bannon. That leads to the other kind of requirement, more or less, is that we do try to speak with people, usually about works that they're actively doing, something they recently did, so that it's fresh in their memory and it and it feels like we're covering ground that is active and current rather than being too focused on history in the past. Though we do try to also fold in biography and history to give that broader context. And and sometimes we'll talk with people about older works if they're especially iconic pieces. Right, okay. So it sounds like you explore this idea of creativity from a lot of different angles, including, I would imagine, inspiration as well as, as process and technique and maybe how to encourage creativity and so on. What kinds of questions do you ask? What do you find to be especially helpful in triggering the kind of responses that you're hoping for. And if that's uh, if it's more bespoke than that and you tailor it to individual guests, maybe you could just tell us about some questions that worked particularly well with some of your past guests. Sure. So, yeah, I would say it is more bespoke. I pride myself on trying to start from scratch each time, more or mm-hmm. less, mm-hmm. Um, which not to stray too far from your question, but for a second here, I, I find that a traditional way into this form is to take the journalistic approach of having 
kind of a written out set of questions that you use over and over again with a certain set formula. But I really try to approach each episode as a standalone story that can take on its own emotional arc and emotional journey in much its own way. And so to do that, I really, really prefer to take that bespoke approach where there may be some overlapping questions across all the interviews. And that kind of naturally does happen when you're talking about the creative process. But I I really like to keep things open-ended during the interview to try to see where the guest is and where they really show passion. So uh, it could be that I prepare three pages of questions for an interview. So just the other day I did an interview and I prepared three pages of questions and then I get and I sit down into the interview and I basically didn't look at that sheet at all. Uh, And the guest had a certain energy that day that told me, oh, they really want to talk about uh, this aspect of the project. Hmm. And I, maybe I didn't cover that well enough in my three pages. And so I had to just run with it. Uh, and just kind of staying open to the moment in that way, I think, has been really critical for me. But to get back to your question, you were asking really, like, is there a certain, is there a particular question that I like to ask? I would say that I think it's really important to make sure I'm asking questions that encourage the guest to talk about the tangible and rather than be too head in the clouds about abstract ideas to really walk us through a concrete example of creating. Mm. Uh, So for somebody like filmmaker M. Night Shyamalan, for example, when he made his film Old, I really wanted to hear the the nitty gritty of how they navigated making a a studio film in the middle of the pandemic uh, on a beach out of the country. And so just trying to really pinpoint questions that encourage you know, really concrete details, because I think when people hear those concrete details, it just makes it a lot easier to connect to these people and their process. And it makes it easier to feel like you can gain something from listening to that. And maybe you can do something similar in your own way. Mm, That's interesting because it's, it's sort of like the, the Tolstoy line of every happy family is alike and all uh, unhappy families are different. the creative process when it's going well and smoothly, it's probably kind of similar of, well, the idea came and I, I have the tools to, to bring it out, whether that's as a novelist or a poet or a filmmaker. But, but when you start asking about obstacles and potential problems, it's sort of a, uh, can the creative spirit overcome those things? Uh, it starts to get very interesting and maybe a little bit more revealing and maybe give them a little more that they can talk about that will let them reflect on the the moments where creativity was bumping up against conflict. Absolutely. I mean, the first thing you learn in film school, for example, is just the essence of storytelling is conflict, right? So, So I think trying to pinpoint the essence of the story involves trying to find those moments of conflict and and how the artist overcame in that moment or or how they faced it. For someone like Errol Morris, they might even say, well, a documentary filmmaker, that's not what they think of first when they think of creativity. They think of songwriters or or poets or something. But the way he's approached each different film and each different subject of his films shows a lot of creativity in trying to 
adapt the end product to the needs of the story that he's trying to tell. Absolutely. I mean, talk about an iconoclast. And I and I really love disciplines like documentary filmmaking, where a lot of the craft might be invisible to the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be mm-hmm. sort of an, an assumed uh, process there that, yeah, it's largely invisible. And I, and I think a lot of uh, creators and artistic figures, their work can be invisible. And often when it's at its best, it's invisible. And trying to unveil a little bit of the, you know, what's happening behind the curtain there, I think can be really illuminating. I've always found that really illuminating when I hear conversations or or learn through stories about that in my own life. So, yeah. Would you say that there are common themes that the guests often return to? Are there particular things, any features of the creative spark that you see translating across different creative realms or or tend to recur from individual to individual? I think so. I think that the most common theme really is that another thing that I learned in school about storytelling, you know, is is that the personal in the personal, you find the universal and and basically almost every guest, there's something from their own personal upbringing Mm. that really influences the way that they create now. And so I find that digging a little into that context, that his, that personal history and how it relates to a specific project they're working on can be really illuminating. And, and basically almost every guest always very naturally gets into that. It's not even something that I need to really poke or prod at. There just tends to be a through line into that sort of personal impact um, that we get into in each conversation. Are you talking about things like someone saying, the divorce really affected me and I was looking to deal with that or or I had a a, a childhood where my father left me and, and that was a, a continuing source, the search for a father figure to replace him or something like that? Or are you talking about someone who might say, my mother used to read to us and I loved the feeling of, of the way she would act out the characters in the stories she read, or I had a father who was a, a composer and I used to watch him at the piano and, and that kind of thing. I mean, all of the above, really. Mm. I think both, both of those are really vibrant and, and valid sources of inspiration. I think that in the former uh, example, it's, it can be so kind of therapeutic that people don't necessarily want to talk about that. So that's where it gets to be a little bit on me and my job to get people to open up and be and have intimate conversation about that kind of thing about their upbringing in a way that doesn't feel like exploitative in any way because that's really not what our show's about and for the latter example i would say that there's an episode coming up uh with playwright jason kim in our new season where he talks about a story that his grandmother used to tell him when he was a kid about escaping north korea during the korean war and something like that, it just paints this really vivid picture of the artist's early life and how it has kind of recurred in their head and led towards them being a creative person uh, in their in their current day. And so that I find to be really exciting as well. Okay, let's take a quick break and then come back with more from Joe Skinner on the creative process. 
Okay, we're back with Joe Skinner. Joe, I'm curious, now that you've done all these episodes and have been part of putting these together and then hearing from these creative people as they dig into their own uh, backgrounds and, and process and everything, if there's anything that you've learned and do you feel like you know more about creativity and where it comes from and the nature of it, or if talking to all these people has only expanded the mystery for you, where it seems like it's even harder to pin down than you would have thought before you began this project. I think it's definitely demystified it more Mm. than making it more than making it a deeper mystery to me. I think um, it's, uh, it's interesting to see just how many things overlap among disciplines. One of the things that I think is most interesting about American masters as a brand is that we really do embrace covering a lot of different disciplines for our broadcast series and likewise for the podcast. And, and I think it's really exciting to see the overlap uh, amongst all those different disciplines. I'm interested, you say it's kind of demystified it a little bit. Is it that you're seeing things like uh, persistence or uh, a, a willing willingness to be flexible or or to apply different solutions to different problems or, or something like that? Or what is it that you're, that has demystified for you? What are these creative people doing to get the job done? You know, I think it's of course a little different every time, but if I had to pinpoint something that's pretty common across everybody, it's that you're dealing with really smart people who mm. are just incredibly passionate about what they're doing. And that sounds so kind of simple and reductive, right, right. but I think it's actually quite meaningful um, to consider the fact that, you know, there's just this this spark to use the word in our title that that you see in these in in the eye of these people that there's just something really driving them and and usually it is an excitement around either making things or an excitement around something they feel they need to say, and so even if people don't necessarily feel they need to say something to the world, I find that through their excitement for the process and through their excitement for working, you realize that they are trying to say things as well. So, so I find that really the most common thread that people use to get things done is just having an enthusiasm and an endless passion for what they're doing. And it's absolutely infectious when I walk out of an interview booth with these guests it just you know keeps the engine going for me to keep working hard on these episodes. You know, I'm I'm struck by a few examples. I've, but one in particular that just jumped out at me is Stephen King's book on writing. And there's a pa- <laughs> there's a passage where he talks about his love for the the moment where he's he's sort of starting from scratch and he's just letting the characters and the the scenes and everything pour out of him and then he says it's so much more fun than editing and then he said but actually i kind of enjoy editing too i just like the whole process you know and he <laughs> and he's, he just the whole book just exudes that enthusiasm for writing and it it's almost like those those athletes who they retire and people will say, well, is it because you turned a certain age or because you wanted to spend more time with your family or because you you got injured? And, and they said, you know, it's just the season ended and I didn't I realized I no longer had what it took to kind of work myself back into shape during the off season and 
come back at the level that I wanted to come back at. And just, it's sort of like losing that enthusiasm is what takes it out of their hands. And it does seem like you could imagine uh, what we've come to call writer's block might just be the author just not having that passion anymore for the work that they're trying to do or the process that they know it's going to take in order to complete the work. Yeah, it's a really good point. And, and, you know, all of this is to say to make something that becomes successful, it's just incredibly hard. It takes a lot of work. And so if you don't have that enthusiasm and energy for it, it's just not going to get done. Yeah. Do, do your people ever talk about, I mean, a lot of people would probably think a creative spark would be, you'd be trying to get to the origin. We've talked a lot about process and about the hard work and so on, but does anyone talk about the moment when they they woke up and the entire song was already in their mind? Or do they talk about it in a as in terms of being visited by a muse or lightning striking or this this must have come from God or that kind of thing? Or or has it really been focused on uh well, I knew I wanted to do this and so I had to do X, Y, and Z in order to bring it to fruition? I, I do, you know, you, you asked early on a question, you know, what is a, a common, common question I get excited to ask? And I think always an exciting staple question in any of these kinds of interviews is, you know, what was the origin? What was the point in which lightning struck, like you said? And so I do always ask that. The answer is not always crystal clear because a lot of times ideas develop through a pretty layered and, and not easy to just put into a soundbite type process. But I will say, oftentimes there is an exact moment in time where that lightning struck. So, for example, uh, when I interviewed Buffy St. Marie about making her song Carry It On, uh, she spoke a little bit about another song called Universal Soldier, which was famously covered by Donovan and a couple hundred other people in the 60s and 70s. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, she was on a layover at an airport in the 60s, early 60s, right when the Vietnam War was breaking out. And she saw all these medics and it just had that that moment in time she was talking to a medic. It had inspired her to write the song Universal Soldier that night. And I'm always fascinated when you hear about musicians and singer songwriters writing lyrics overnight because I just take a really tedious approach to my own writing process that I can't even imagine just pumping something out in one night like that. So that kind of thing just always blows my mind. And some people I think are just much more instinctual like that. And Buffy has always struck me as somebody who may more often than not be more instinctual in her creative process. It does seem like there are people like like Mozart or Prince or Paul McCartney or someone who just music just flows through them and, and comes out of their fingertips. <laughs> and, and, and you do feel like for a lot of people who are maybe trying to work up to that moment or or trying to put things together. There's this sort of famous example that's been running around of Jackson Brown and and how the people who were his the Eagles when they were living below his apartment would hear him working on the piano and just working and working and working a song and and making pots of tea and and just you know going over and over and over a melody to try to get it right. And it seems like you know there's sort of there's people who almost have more creativity than they know what to do with. And then other people who are coming at it more from a, a source, uh, a place of determination 
to get something out there. Um, I guess there's a whole range of people. I mean, the result can be fantastic no matter who's, no matter which approach you take, but it, it does seem like there's room in there even for people who aren't born a Mozart. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that's such an exciting thing to think about. And I should, probably shouldn't be hyping another show out there, but the the Beatles documentary, I think it's on Disney oh, Plus. Yeah. That I, I just loved. Uh, <laughs> I loved it. And I loved seeing just how inspiration would strike Paul McCartney. And that collaborative effort between McCartney and Lennon, you just see that fire between them. Uh, yeah. it's, it's electric. And I also, you know, of course, I do wonder how the editing process went on that documentary, too, and how that might inform how we perceive that collaborative creative process. But this is all part of it, right? Yeah. You talked a little bit about inspiration. And with Lennon and McCartney, we kind of have that example of two people who are inspiring one another and, and trying to outdo one another, but also collaborating with one another. Do you find that people are talking about other works of art that inspire them are they is do you have examples of a filmmaker who watches a film and and then decides that they want to you know do something even better or do something along those lines or maybe they're inspired by something from another medium and how important are previous creative works to these creative thinkers Oh, so important, as with all of us, right? I mean, uh, I I already talked about him once, but I'll talk about him again. M. Night Shyamalan is really just the perfect example. He's kind of become this iconic name in, in horror and suspense. Mm-hmm. And when he was a kid, he was obsessed with Steven Spielberg. And mm-hmm. he saw, he talks in our interview about watching Raiders of the Lost Ark as a kid and just, and Star Wars. And just uh, being so tremendously inspired by that, he uh, to quote him, he said it was verging on a religious experience for him. And so I remember when the Signs DVD first came out in 2002, uh, he includes some of his home movies on that. And you see a young M. Night Shyamalan with an old, you know, old camera just in his in his living room, kind of recreating these Spielberg trailers and Spielberg moments from Raiders. And you start to see Shyamalan's own creative process from that young age taking shape through that inspiration. And I find that to be really interesting. Do they ever look at the lives of other people uh, as well as the works? Like, do they sort of fall in love with the, the biography of a figure and try to emulate that or, or you know, try to, to replicate mm-hmm. that to some extent in their own life? Hmm. It's a really good question. I should ask people that. <laughs> I feel like it's it's definitely come up before. I mean, let's see. I'm trying to think of like a pretty clear example of it. I mean, this one is a few seasons ago, but um, we actually had a whole season when we were more of a conversational podcast. And now our show is called Creative Spark, and it's really more edited and narrative based. So, so we're we're scripting voiceover into it and really trying to tell a story. Uh, prior to this kind of re- transformation in the show, we were just a two-way conversational podcast. And so one of those seasons was really asking people about whose shoulders they stood on top of to mm. make the work the work they make, just the question that you're asking here. And somebody who really stuck out to me from that, that season is Boots Riley, a filmmaker and musician. He made a film called Sorry to Bother You. And so he has extremely uh, strong feelings around politics. He's a heavily politically minded figure. And so 
he talks about how Paul Robeson mm. inspired him. And, and I thought that was such an interesting point of comparison. And it's interesting just to hear, you know, the people that are inspiring people can really come from very different disciplines and different backgrounds and different eras and time periods. And, you know, when I, I, I remember when I was a, a kid, I was obsessed with Mark Twain. And <laughs> it's like this guy from a hundred years ago. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just interesting to see these things happen. Yeah, it is. You you could see where they would would admire uh, Paul Robeson's courage, or could you could imagine that a lot of these people probably look to uh, examples like that of you know how did someone deal with criticism, how did they deal with setbacks, and and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so new season coming up. What interviews are you excited about? What are there any guests or anything you could preview for us? Sure. Well, we just released an episode uh, with John David Washington, who is making his Broadway debut right now in the piano lesson Mm. and talking about I I get really excited when guests open up about their personal history. And and he certainly does in his interview. And I think it's really interesting. He talks about visiting his grandparents in North Carolina and where his parents grew up in North Carolina and he actually did that. He went back to North Carolina to experience that when he was preparing for this role for the piano lesson. And so just to hear him get into the nitty gritty of going back to that that kind of hometown in a way is really fascinating to me. And another exciting interview coming up. Uh, let's see. Filmmaker Kelly Reichert is another person who... I've always seen as somebody who's a little hard to pin down, she's she's very private and discreet about her process. And so I was really eager to yeah. try to mine it as much as I could. And and I think she really opened up in the conversation. And, and she's somebody whose work I have tremendous respect for. And so she has a film coming out this spring that she talks about, and we'll be releasing it around that time. Another name I'll mention is Jennifer Egan, mm. who mm-hmm. just speaks to process in such a brilliant way. I mean, she's just incredibly articulate about the creative process and passionate about it. And so we talked with her about her follow-up to a visit from the Goon Squad, the Candy House, which I think was just on Obama's end of year list. Mm. Um, And I think that's a really exciting one. That's a book that if you haven't read it, it's just so complicated, as is a lot of her work, that it's going to be a fun one to edit that episode in the edit room. We're still working on it uh, because there's just so many layers to her way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm I'm going to ask a last question here. So I'd like to think that we can all bring this spark of creativity into our lives, even if we're not professional artists. Do you see any life lessons about creativity that we can take from your guests? Or would you view the podcast more as a service to let the rest of us know how special these creative people truly are. I really value the idea that maybe this episode or that episode can inspire something in the listener. Mm -hmm. Um, I really do strive to try to deliver something that could give people a life lesson or give, give people food for thought really that can drive their own creative process or, or help inspire them to get up and do something um, that excites them. So that's really the goal. And, And I think of, uh, our next episode, which is with John Waters. And that episode really leaves people with a question, you know, about provocation and, and when is it okay to provoke and not. And 
And I encourage people to listen to it because I just like the way that episode ends with a question mark. And I really do like when we have stories that end with kind of open-ended, leaving people to wonder and think about things themselves and, and start conversations around, you know, what is the right way to create or what should people be making now in the world we live in now? The podcast is called American Masters Creative Spark, available wherever you get your podcasts. Joe Skinner, thank you so much for joining me on the History of Literature. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. Okay. There we go. That's going to do it for this episode of the History of Literature. My thanks to Joe Skinner for joining me. Check out the Creative Spark podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We will be back in the world of Oscar Wilde next time with repeat guest Laura Lee, who has found a very interesting angle into the wild, wildian world of gentleman conman who played a part in Wilde's downfall, but who managed to stay one step ahead of the public on that one, who was also part of an international ring of gamblers, card sharps, burglars, fraudsters, and perhaps murderers. Oh, you know what? That's not next time. (laughs) I'm looking at the calendar wrong. Next time, it's the wife of Bath with a woman who wrote a biography of Chaucer's most famous creation. That's a really good episode. So please do hit the subscribe button, tell all your friends, and Come back for that one. You're always welcome here at the History of Literature. The porch light is on. The fire is ablaze. The warm beverages are plentiful. And the company is good, hopefully. Aiming to please, anyway, at your service. I'm Jack Wilson. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>